You've got your books there, I hope, and we are looking at uh, lesson five this morning, moving on to lesson number five, uh, the complacent mind. Uh, there's a word we don't use maybe as often as some of the others, uh, complacency or complacent. Uh, it's to be self-satisfied. It's to be uh, content where you're at. The idea of just eh, things are okay. I'm, I'm the status quo is fine with me. Uh, just kind of complacent. Just not really driven. Not really motivated to do much more than than what you know is already happening. Maybe uh, just uh, that idea of the complacent mind. And of course, we need to be very cautious about that as Christians. Don't uh, be careful not to let ourselves get to that place. Uh, the key verse, or what is also a verse that you might want to commit to memory, is Matthew 5, verse number 6. Is blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And uh, that idea of hungering and thirsting, going after righteousness, seeking, seeking for it. Uh, you know, I mean, just like the body, we have an appetite, and sometimes uh, we get to the point where we're just, man, I'm just hungry. I'm just hungry. I'm just ready to eat. I'm just looking for something to eat. And uh, you get that, that hunger pains going. And so I wonder how often do we hunger and thirst after righteousness? Or maybe do we find ourselves a little complacent? And uh, so that's what we want to guard against, what we're going to talk about this morning, the idea of complacency in our Christian lives. Turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy, if you have your scriptures with you there. We're going to look at 1 and 2 Timothy, several different passages of scripture. Obviously, some of the references are given to you in your uh, textbook that you're following along, and you've got places to keep some notes, to add some things. Uh, to fill in some blanks, and we'll try and give you those as we go. But uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, in verse number 13, is our, is our text verse for the lesson. He says, Till I come, give attendance unto reading, and to exhortation, and to doctrine. These three areas we're going to consider and ponder here uh, as we get into this a complacent mind. You know, beloved, that uh, today uh, the, the, the body and the brain, uh, we have a tendency... As humans, it's just a natural tendency to get lazy, to uh, want to relax, to want to take the easy road. Let me ask you this. Uh, how many of you um, can give me 10 phone numbers off the top of your head? Now, I'm not going to ask you to do it, but I'm just saying, okay, now you guys remember the day before the phone kept all of it for us? Ten numbers would be nothing for you. You would know so many numbers, and you would have a whole list of others. But, you, I mean, off the top of your head, you would have known a lot of numbers. Today, modern society and our, our technological advances, uh, you know, they're getting smarter and we're getting dumber. Um, there's a whole lot of uh, studies out uh, about the damage to the hippocampus area of the brain due to an over-reliance on the GPS uh, it's, you know, there's a lot of different, if it's not necessarily an outright damage, they say it certainly is hindering the development of that area because young people today have never had to really think about it. It, it, it improves problem solving. It, it improves, uh, your actual, um, what they would call not situational awareness, but just your, your ability. You know, some people are what they call, uh, 
directionally challenged. Uh, they, they, they just, they don't know where they're going and, and you could turn them around really quick and they won't know which way is east or west and, and how to get there and they're just directionally challenged. Um, but you know what leads to that is the over-reliance uh, on the GPS. It's sad, there's some of the church family, I've been to their house four or five times and I still couldn't go there without the GPS. <laughs> I mean, I've been there numerous times and uh, I ought to be able to drive there, but because the GPS allows you just to have your mind in neutral, you don't really have to think about where it is or be alert as to, oh, we got to turn by the red barn, you know, I mean, you don't even have to really pay attention. It just says, you know, oh, turn left, and you turn left, and you go, oh, turn right, and you turn right. And so these things have led to uh, increase in the natural tendency to kind of be lazy about how we function in this world. Well, in Paul's second letter to Timothy, turn to 2 Timothy, if you would, in uh, chapter number 4, Paul's second letter to Timothy gives us some insight into this apostle's mindset. He's here reaching the close of his life. There's not much time left. And Paul's not sitting in a lazy boy, kicking back, taking it easy, uh, drinking iced tea and lemonade, just, uh, you know, enjoying his retirement. You know, a matter of fact, Paul's frail and aching body is huddled in the corner of a Roman prison. I've had the privilege of being in Rome and uh, actually seeing the place that they believe Paul was held. Uh, and I can tell you, it's nothing like the prisons we have today. Uh, that location, I mean, you think about cold and wet and damp, unprotected from the elements. And you know how uh, cold air falls and uh, just down that, that, that kind of a pit really down underneath uh, those ancient buildings and looking down into that space, you can see how it would be just very wet, very cold, very uncomfortable. Paul, at this time in his life, expecting at any moment to hear the footsteps of the executioner coming down the hall, ready to take him before Nero, ready to have his head cut off or certainly be, be killed for his faith. In these last two letters to Timothy, Paul's thinking, well, the time I got left, I got to exhort Timothy to pick up the baton. I got to encourage Timothy to, I may not be here much longer, but Timothy, here, you need to continue in the faith. Here's some truths that you need to understand. But Paul's writing, and look at chapter two, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 13. He says, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. In Paul's dying moments, in the time where he was looking at it and saying, you know, I, I probably don't have much time left on this earth. There's not many more days that I can do anything. And Paul didn't just say, well, I'm just, I'm done. I've done what I can do. I've contributed all I can. I've impacted Christianity and for the cause of Christ as much as I can. I, I'm pretty much, I don't know how many days I have left. I'm just going to sit back and relax. No, no, Paul, Paul desired three things here. He desired something physically. He said, man, it's cold in here. If you can bring me a cloak, if you bring me a coat, that would be nice. And then he desired mental st stimulation. He said, bring me the books. He says, I know I don't, maybe not going to be alive much longer, but I want to stimulate my brain. I want to read a good book. I want to study a little bit. But then he says, above all else, if you can't bring the cloak and you can't bring some books, would, would you especially bring me the parchments? He had a desire to continue to grow spiritually. He wanted to see the word of God one more time. 
And so we see here that Paul had a searching mind. The challenge of a searching mind is your first blank there. The challenge of a searching mind. We, beloved, need to give attendance to reading. In 1 Timothy 4.13 there he says, Till I come, give attendance to reading. Didn't you guys enjoy uh, Dr. Tim Green for the revivals? I mean, you know, one of the reasons he is able to write uh, the Baptist bread and, and to teach like he does is because he's teaching from a flowing stream, because he's an avid reader, because he reads numerous, numerous books and is reading all the time. While he was here, I gave him a book to read, and he brought it back to me the next day. And he's like, yeah, this is pretty good. Here's a couple thoughts, you know, you might want to consider uh, about this author. I'm like, you read that already? <laughs> he's like, yeah, I didn't have anything to do last night. So uh, he knocked it out. He's an avid reader. And, and you know, we, we today, I mean, don't you think, by and large, we're fast approaching a time where reading is bygone habit? I mean, <laughs> just a lot of people don't read today. Uh, of course, we have all of our digital devices and, and uh, you know, the, the YouTube shorts and the, the videos and, and all these things. We can, we can gain it. And then, of course, the digital books and uh, you can listen to them. And, and there's a place for that. Uh, but the idea is, is stimulating your brain and, and giving attendance to reading. Statistics show that Americans spend more money on chewing gum than they do on books. Well, beloved, reading is important, but uh, really more important than just reading is what you read. We need to be sure we're reading the right thing. We need to be sure that we are pursuing and learning after the right thing. Most people's minds today are captured with the latest gadgets or the newest public interest story. Um, you know... Uh, we, taught, we spoke about how our mind, we need to let our mind be captured by the things of the Lord. But uh, how easily are our minds captured by the, the glitter and the glamour of, of this world? Heaven forbid we spend a few minutes talking about the scripture, talking about biblical principles, discussing the word of God. Uh, instead of the weather or uh, instead of the current ball game or whatever uh, might be going on, just being spiritually minded. First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wives and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? The things of this world are going to pass away. The things of this world are foolish. We need to give attendance to reading, but we need to do so with an importance on what it is we're reading. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If any of you lack wisdom, let them ask of God. It's there, it's available for us, we can get it, but are we given attendance to reading, especially the Word, the Word of God? In Billy Sunday's uh, Bible, shortly after he passed, uh, I would imagine in preparation for the funeral, they spent a little bit of time and uh, went through his, his books and things. And in the flyleaf of his Bible, he had written this. 
29 years ago, with the Holy Spirit as my guide, I entered the portico of Genesis. I walked down the corridor of the Old Testament, observing the art galleries where hung great men's photos, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Joseph, Isaac, Jacob, and Daniel. I passed into the music room of Psalms where the Spirit swept the keyboards of nature until it seemed that every reed and pipe in God's great organ responded to the harp of David, that sweet singer of Israel. I entered the chamber of Ecclesiastes where the voice of the preacher is heard and into the conservatory of Sharon in the lily of the valley where sweet spices filled and perfumed my life. I entered the business office of Proverbs and into the observatory of the prophets where I saw telescopes of various sizes pointing to far-off events, concentrating mostly on that bright and morning star which was to rise above the moonlit hills of Judah for our salvation and redemption. I entered the audience room of the King of Kings catching a vision written by Matthew, Luke, and John. Thus into the correspondence room with Paul and Peter and James and John. I stepped then into the throne room of Revelation where towering the glittering peaks where sat the king of kings upon his glorious throne with the healing of the nations in his hands. And I cried, I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. I wonder, have you ever walked through the pages of Scripture that way? Have you ever seen God that way in the halls of Scripture? Or is our Bible reading, our attendance to reading, just a matter of checking it off the list? Just a matter of, I I did my duty today. And sometimes, let me encourage you, sometimes doing your duty and doing it out of faithfulness and just making it happen is admirable and should be done because there's some days you don't feel like it and you just do it because you know you're supposed to do it and praise the Lord for that. But there ought to be days where you're walking into the pages of Scripture and the King of Kings is there. The God of Heaven is present and He opens through the power of the Spirit of God the pages of Scripture to you. We need to give attendance to reading. We also need to give adherence to ruminating. Ruminating. I'm glad they put these words up on the screen for you so you don't have to wonder how to spell some of these that you're not not using that much. God commands us, of course, to study, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's not just a matter of reading but it is to ruminate, that is to meditate or muse, that is to ponder. The dictionary goes even further and it says to ponder obsessively, to revisit the thought over and over and over again. And one commentator said it's like the cow who chews his cud. The idea that they chewed it over and they of course, swallow it down into that first stomach, and I don't want to be gross this morning, but they, you know, they bring that back up, and they chew on it a little while longer, and then they send it back down. Do you want to hear something really gross? 
I uh, was watching these hunters, and they're they're uh, out in Alaska. Um, the the uh, native population there uh, talked about how their forefathers, uh, when they would kill uh, other animals that have multiple stomachs like that, um, I don't remember if it was a caribou or what it was, but they have multiple stomachs like that. They said that first stomach is is not really. Um, you don't have stomach acids and stuff like that there. Uh, it's almost just like a storage room. And they would actually eat the stuff out of the first stomach. They would kill the animal and they eat the stuff out of the first stomach because it uh, is basically stored and fresh food from, from their... Uh, not sure I would do that, but uh, <laughs> anyways, it's terrible what enters your mind while you're speaking here. But uh, give adherence to ruminating, to thinking about it, to pondering. Now you guys are going to be pondering that instead of listening to them. Uh, let me ask you this. Let's, let's take our mind down another path here to help us get off of that gross scene. Uh, how, how many of you suppose gold is found on the surface of the ground? How often is it found just laying on the ground? I think occasionally it, it could be found. You could find it. You know, you've seen all those panning for golds and things like that. But do you know the average gold mine is anywhere from four to six feet deep to 200 feet deep? That's the average gold mine. The deepest gold mine is 2.5 miles. I mean, you wouldn't think you'd find gold that deep. But 2.5 miles down is the deepest gold mine. What I'm saying is that the riches of Scripture are not usually found right on the surface. It's not usually found just right there, just, just giving attendance to reading, not just, you know, I, I read it, uh, you know. No, but it's, it's pondering. It's ruminating. It's spending some time thinking about it. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 says, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after her, after knowledge, and liftest up thy voice for understanding. If thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as hidden treasure, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You see there in that passage there, Proverbs 2, 1 through 5, is the aspect, the idea of searching getting into the pages of Scripture and, and looking and desiring to really get a, a working understanding and asking the Lord through His power of the Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth and to open up those pages of Scripture and to allow you to really be taught and to meditate on those things. And when you do that, you get the exciting result of having a stirred mind. A stirred mind. That's the result. And that's where we want to get to. Listen, beloved, what a privilege. What a privilege to have our heart and mind stirred by God. Man, it's powerful. What a, what a privilege to know that the God of heaven is speaking to our hearts. If we're going to have a stirred heart and mind, the scriptures tell us here, till I come, give attendance to exhortation. Not only just give attendance to reading, but give attendance to exhortation. You know, the fact of the matter is, is exhortation, the presenting of the truth of God, is supposed to stir our minds. So the challenge of a stirred mind here, the stirring of exhortation. 
The faithful preaching and teaching of God's word is designed to stir our minds. That's what it's for. And he says, give attendance to that. That means give adherence to listen to it, look for it, seek the opportunity to hear about it. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, Beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And Peter, he says, hey, I wrote, I wrote this to you to stir up your mind by way of remembrance. You know, we need to be reminded of some things. We need to be stirred again about some of those, maybe even the basic truths and the fundamental things that we've come to believe and understand from the pages of Scripture. But oh, that our heart and mind would be stirred for those things again. In Exodus 35, 21, he says, And they came every one whose heart stirred him up, and every one whose spirit made him willing. They gathered there. They needed something. They called for an offering. And every one whose heart was stirred came. You know, sometimes we need God to stir our heart to move us. To move us. We get complacent. We get settled in. We get relaxed. We get comfortable with our Christianity. And we're okay. Everything's all right. And we're moving, as it were, through life. But oh, how we need to be stirred for the things of God. Without being stirred again afresh and anew for the things of God, you know the result is backsliding. That slow, gradual process whereby we slowly drift away from God. We need to be stirred again. How long has it been since your heart's been stirred? Peter exhorted his audience over and over with regards to the truth that they needed to be reminded of the things of God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, he says, Wherefore, I would not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, that means fit, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. And that's what the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God is supposed to do. It's supposed to stir us up, to remind us maybe of truths that we've known for a long time, of settled things that, that, that really aren't up for date, debate in our mind. We know these things to be true, but we need to be stirred afresh and anew. Otherwise, the fact of the matter is, is there is a seduction to relaxing. There is that appetite and we all like to relax this morning about seven o'clock I'm standing in front of the mirror and tying my tie Mary comes out of the bathroom and she looks at me and she says hon will you just rest tomorrow I said babe I've got a list already I got stuff I got to do tomorrow she says no you need I said all right I said I'll, I'll rest tomorrow uh, she's like I'll feel a lot better about that but see, I feel like I've been resting way too much. I got stuff that needs to get done, you know. But the last couple of days have been, been busy and, and uh, she's, but you know, our, our tendency is to want to rest. 
our tendency is to want to relax. There's a seduction to just getting home in the afternoon or evening and putting your feet up and sitting back and, okay, I've put in a day. I'm just going to relax now. I'm just going to take it easy. There is that appetite, a desire for that. And, you know, in today's world, we want to relax more and more and more. You know, the, I don't know for sure. I think that uh, um, the UA, um, Autos Workers Union, the UAW, uh, that they came to an agreement with Ford, I think. I don't know where the agreement fell out. But, you know, initially they were asking for a 40% pay raise and a 20% decrease in their required work. They wanted to make 40% more money for doing 20% less work. And if you look at the agreements that have been made over the years, uh, if you go back and look at some of the old agreements that the United Auto Workers Union put into place, I mean, you see continually, uh, you know, this, this push for more and more pay for less and less work. They want to have a maximum of a 32-hour work week. That's what they're asking for. That's human nature. Human nature wants to do as little as it can. And in our world society, we're, we're looking for that uh, and for the, for the weekend, the whole mentality of thank God it's Friday, looking for the time that we can relax. And this mentality is not just in the world, it's hitting us and, and sadly even in our pursuit of Christian things. It's sad that many Christians today feel that they've done God a favor if they did something right. They feel like they did God a favor if they did what they were supposed to do. Somehow God owes them or should be grateful or thankful because they came to church. Because they were in God's house. Well, this is what we're supposed to be doing. This is, this is uh, you know, what did God call... God called the unprofitable servant... The one who did what he was supposed to. Just did what he was supposed to. God says unprofitable. Because he didn't go above and beyond. You know, in Christianity, satisfaction and joy comes in the second mile. That's the fact. That's the truth. And you can see it even written on people's faces in, in this life and in this world when, when we do all we can do to just skate by and just get through and not have to do anything extra. You're miserable. But those people who give above and beyond and, and accomplish all that they can and ask God to allow them to do more and desire to accomplish more and really aren't satisfied because they didn't get to do as much as they wanted to, those people have joy in their heart. They're filled with happiness. They're, they're, they're satisfied in their service for the king. Let me exhort you this morning to do what God wants you to do. To do what God asks of you. Do what Christ wants. Now, I hope that as a pastor I can encourage you. I hope that my, my I mean, the, the privilege I have to preach and, and give you the truth from the word of God and, and hopefully live and be an example. But please let me encourage you, don't do because pastor said, don't do because pastor encouraged you. 
I mean, do you understand? I hope that I can be an encouragement and, and I desire that, that I might motivate you to do right, but I hope that the motivation is not because I said, but because Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, impressed upon your heart that he stirred you and you know that you're doing what God wants you to do. Not because Pastor Caleb said that this is what you should do. If that is your purpose for following after Christ, can I tell you, you're going to be disappointed because I'm just a man and the day is going to come where I'm going to disappoint you and you'll, you'll look and you'll say, well, I couldn't believe Pastor Caleb would do that or this or whatever it might be, but our, we don't follow after Christ because of a man. We go after Christ because of Christ and our relationship with him and I hope you can see that balance that I desire to exhort you and encourage you and challenge you, and I hope I can be instrumental and be used of God to do so. But I don't ever want people to be looking at me. I want them to be looking at God, looking at Christ and saying, that's who we follow. And what I do as a Christian, I do because of my relationship with Christ. I'm thankful for pastor or I'm thankful for other men in the church who have encouraged me and exhorted me and helped me on this journey. But what I do, I do because of Christ and not because of this brother or that brother, but because Jesus Christ has changed me from the inside out. Jeremiah said, my people have committed two evils. First, they've forsaken me. He said, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And secondly, they hewn them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. He said, they've gone after the things of the world. Not only have they forsaken the creator, not only have they forsaken God, but instead of following after God, they've fallen after the, the idols of this world. And we have set up our own idols. We've set up our idols at the stadiums of our favorite teams and at the malls of our favorite shops and at the movie houses of our favorite actors. And we've got all these things that we would be happily pursue after. But are we pursuing after God? Beloved, the clear presentation of the truth is supposed to stir our mind in our heart for God. The living word of God brings comfort to the distressed, but it also brings distress to the comfortable. It's supposed to bring us out of that complacency. And that's what the challenge is this morning. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, he says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of, in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily. Well, it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Oh, how we need to exhort one another. How we need to give heed to exhortation, to listen to it. And it is, beloved, through exhortation, through giving heed to reading, giving heed to exhortation, to hearing these truths that stir our hearts again, that we reach a place of a sound mind, the challenge of a sound mind. 
the order of a sound mind. He says, till I come, the last thing there, he says, give attendance to doctrine in 1 Timothy 4.13, the verse we opened with. Give attendance to doctrine. That is teaching. That is the foundational truths, the doctrine that we're supposed to have. Paul exhorted Timothy to stir up the gift that was in him, that uh, he wants him to have a sound mind. God has not given us the uh, spirit of fear, but of love and of power and a sound mind. We are to have a sound mind. Many times we find ourselves troubled in this world. Many times we find ourselves tossed to and fro, but what we need is a sound mind. It is a mind that's settled, that has a foundation. And the only place to get that is in the Word of God. A sound mind is gained by getting on that sure foundation, letting the, the Lord shape our worldview, letting our understanding of things be tr- controlled by God instead of this world. You know, everybody has an opinion today. There's so much out there, and, you know, you spend any time on Facebook, it's going to come through your feed, how, what you should think about this and how you should feel about that, and, and, and some of it might even sound pretty good. might even be presented in an elegant way in a nice little photo or montage or something, but is it real? Is it based on truth? Is it sound from the Word of God? We need to let God and his word shape our worldview and how we think, not the latest memes. The obedience of a sound mind. People go through life seeking for peace and contentment. They, of course, try all types of things, but nothing in this world satisfies. This world seeking after every type of enjoyment is still left empty. Isaiah 57, verse 20, the wicked are like a troubled sea when it cannot rest. I mean, isn't that a picture of this world? Just like a troubled sea. No rest, no peace, no quietness. But Christ says, come unto me, all that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart and shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God wants to give us rest. But it doesn't come through, as we said, relaxing. It comes, we can't get complacent. We can't get satisfied and content and, and just, we, we have to continue to pursue after God and the things of God. Don't let your mind become complacent. For a long time, I've been, worrying, I've been warning the church about casual Christianity. That's what many people seem like they want today, just a casual Christianity. Let's just make it all as casual and as convenient and, and not as impactful, on my, as least of impact on my life as possible. But we don't want that. I told you the other day that we've been reading this book by General Patton. Well, General Patton took a command of a new division of men. Uh, 20,000 soldiers. And he met with all the commanding officers of these 20,000 soldiers that he was taking command of. He stood before all of these officers, these well-trained military men that had been serving for many years. 
And he said, men, we're in a long war against a tough enemy. We're going to train millions of men to be soldiers. We must make them tough in mind and body. And as officers, we will give leadership. And we will become physically tough and mentally tough as every man that we command. Every officer present will be able to run a mile in less than 15 minutes with a full military pack, including his rifle. One overweight senior officer chuckled. General Patton shouted again, every man in this command, every enlisted man, every staff officer, and everyone serving in leadership will run a mile from this point we will begin in 15 minutes and I will lead. He said every officer refusing to run a mile or desiring a transfer is free to go. We're going to leave. You're free to leave this command before the sun goes down. Any wanting to remain in this armored corps under my command will be back here with his pack on in 15 minutes ready to run dismissed. The author who was present for that day went on to say, I am sure that General Patton knew the words penned by Tom Paine, written during the dark days of the, of the Revolutionary War. Paine said, these are the times that try the souls of men. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will surely shrink from this crisis and from the service of their country. Oh, Christian, we're to be soldiers for the cross. And we don't need summer soldiers or sunshine patriots. People that are complacent. We need people that are driven, that are motivated. They're ready to go after the things of God. And it's something that every Christian has to guard against. Lest we get a complacent 